0: Everybody and welcome to the Four Feathers podcast. I am your host Johnny Nani. I'm joined today by Tony Marquesi and Patrick Kamisky. We've got another great guest on for you today. Let's crack them and get caught up on the Hawks.
1: Good beer, crack guys. It's ten thirty in the morning. <laughs> What's going on? I'm not gonna going to change the format you, of the you intro. Can't, you can't change the format of the intro. It's just we're we're at a different time than we normally are when we're recording these. I think Pat Comiskey's over here making himself some eggs or something. What's going on, Pat?
2: What's happening, guys? Good to jump back on with you. Yeah, it's 10 in the morning. I mean, if I wasn't currently on my way to work, I wouldn't have a problem cracking a beer right now. But uh, apparently my job frowns upon that, so I guess we won't do it. We'll settle for coffee right now. But it is good. It's almost hockey season. We're seven days away. One week, gentlemen. I'm feeling good. I'm happy to be back with you guys and talk a little bit of Blackhawks hockey and excited to talk to this uh, new guest we got here on Four Feathers. How are you guys? Hey, Pat, I'm good. It's good to have you back on. Uh, unfortunately, we were not able
0: to make the uh, Dave Bolin interview due to your work schedule. But, um, you know, I'm glad that we can have you on. Uh, you know, you uh, line change in for Ron. So uh, you're over the boards. Uh, Ron's back on the bench. So, um, yeah, just good to have you back and good talk hockey. And like you had said, exciting guest today. So, Tony, how about you, man?
1: How you doing? I'm just recovering from last night a little bit. Um, you know, you and I back out at the ballpark. Um, it was a good night. But uh like Pat said, one week away from Blackhawks hockey. I was getting all the Twitter updates this morning, seeing that the uh looks like the Hawks are over in Berlin, getting ready. I believe they've got their exhibition game there. Uh was that tomorrow? And uh yeah, I'm just I'm excited to watch some meaningful hockey. Um preseason's nice and all, but I I'm I'm ready for some meaningful hockey games. And more or less I'm just ready to talk to our second former Blackhawk this week. Johnny, why don't you let the listeners know who we have on the day? Yeah, Tone.
0: We have Brent Sopel, 2010 Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks,
1: uh, joining Four Feathers coming up. And we're joined by Brent Sopel here on Four Feathers podcast. That's right. We've had two former Blackhawks players on the show this week, both of them Stanley Cup champions. Brent, happy to have you on here, buddy. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, we're going to get right into it, Brent. Um, we've got some questions for you um, that we're dying to know. Uh, Johnny, why don't you go ahead and start it off? Yeah, sure, Brent. So uh, just a little bit of your hockey background. Uh, can you tell us
0: how you got into hockey and uh, maybe a little moment of realization that you thought you could go pro?
3: Well, I'm Canadian, so there's nothing else to do since we live in, you know, igloos and sled dogs. So, um, you know, hockey's is second nature. That's a uh, that's all we got to do up there. Um, started skating when I was two and, uh, you know, never turned back. It was, uh, uh, it was something that meant, you know, it's something that meant uh, a lot more to me than um, than most people. Um, and we'll touch on this later. But, you know, hockey was, uh, you know, was my world and was on the outdoor rink every day and, you know, played it, uh, you know, growing up in Canada until I, I turned pro when I was uh, 19 years old and, and I playing uh, 18 years pro. Um, I don't know. There's there's no really realization that I was gonna gonna turn pro. I think it was just, uh, you know, I had to work boots on, had, kept my head head down because I was I was always known as the ugliest and the slowest, so I, you know I always had to work harder than everybody. So I never, you know, I just put my head down and kept working, and um, you know I was lucky enough to do the things I got to do.
2: Yeah, hey Brent, it's uh it's always good to have those guys on here. We appreciate those meats, meat and potato guys, someone who will block a puck with their face. That was always you in your career. Um, but one thing we did want to ask you is you started the 07-08 season in training camp with the Red Wings. Uh, yuck, we don't like Detroit. Um, but then you signed a one-year, one-and-a-half million dollar deal with the Hawks. What was that like for you?
3: Well, you know, it was uh, it was definitely different. You know, I'd been in the league for, for a number of years and Um, you know, didn't, uh, you know, didn't get a contract. Um, You know, I was talking to a a number of teams and uh, Kenny Holland, who was the GM of the Red Wings at that point in time, talked to my agent and said, you know, come on in camp. We're we're always looking for, you know, right-handed defenses to play with Nick Listrom. Oh, Nick Listrom, one of the best defenses ever to play. So, you know, I jumped on that opportunity and, you know, I uh, went there and, you know, I had a pretty good camp. Actually, they offered me a one-year deal uh, also, but, you know, I knew that my minutes were going to be very short, you know, with the veteran team and Coachelio. So, you know, I spoke to my agent. I said, you know, call back some of those teams that we're, you know, talking to. And, you know, this happens every single year that teams hope that their young guys are ready and, you know, halfway through training camp that, you know, they figure they're not. Called called Chicago and, you know, they, we talked about minutes, how much, you know, what kind of minutes they'll be playing. And. I uh, decided to uh, leave Detroit, uh, you know, further my career, knowing that uh, being in Detroit probably wasn't going to play a lot of games. was going to be a lot of healthy scratches. You know, could have ran me out of the league. But so, you know, jumped on the opportunity to come to Chicago and, and work with these young guys. And, you know, now I was you know, hoping to do some great things and, you know, lucky that uh, we got to do it.
1: What was it like for you to see just – Hockey rise back in Chicago during that oh eight oh nine season because that's really where this all started. Brent, um, you know, tell us a little bit about what it was like watching it just grow.
3: Well, you know, obviously I was in the league for many years before that, and you know, we'd come to Chicago and you know we have a great time. You know, we down in Viagra Triangle and having having some fun, do some shopping, and then we'd be pissed off that we got to go to the rink and and play the play the Blackhawks team that had you know ten tough guys and had no skill and. Uh, there's nobody's in the United Center, so um, it was uh, it was awesome to, to to be able to come here and 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 watch the uh, watch the growth not only of uh, you know the fan base but uh, you know the guys on the team and and uh, you know obviously your leaders now and uh, Kane and Taze and uh, Duncan Keith and Brett siebert You know for me um, to watch them you know take their games to another level uh, on and off the ice and. Watch them thrive and and grow as as uh, as men and as hockey players you know that's that's what I got the, the most excitement out of
0: yeah brent so uh you're just going back in your career here, you were drafted by Vancouver, and obviously during that time period that we're talking about here uh Hawks Vancouver uh, was a big rivalry um you played for both teams. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about the rivalry from your perspective?
3: yeah, you know rivalries are built with uh, you know you know playoff battles and you know obviously with uh, uh, Vancouver, Chicago. Some, you know, some heavy battles and uh, some guys that uh, didn't like each other. There's some bad blood and that's exactly what happens in, in playoffs. So it um, doesn't matter uh, where you are, what team you are. You love those rivalries. You know, getting up for those games. You know, we're we to Vancouver and you know you could. The atmosphere was electric. They come here in Chicago and um, you know the place was just just jumping. And that's that's why you play the game of hockey is for you know opportunities like that.
2: Yeah, Hey Brent that yeah that's awesome you know we don't we don't like Vancouver over here either you know maybe we'll just go through all the teams we don't like uh but you know I brought it up earlier about how I don't think we've ever seen a guy in their Hawks history at least in the modern era block more shots than you have you it was like having a second goalie out there with you out in the ice and you know we always thought that was awesome 2010 playoffs you blocked 54 shots uh what what was your math mentality like going into battle every night? Was that something that you knew that was just your role on the team? Uh, you know, Eddie Olczyk always talks about it. You know, to win cups, you have to have role players. Those role players have to accept their role and they have to execute it. And I thought that was something that you did maybe better than anyone. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, you know, um, you know, when I signed here in Chicago, um, <clears throat> they brought me here to to work with you know the young guys. Uh, uh, you know, the K and K's coming into the league, teach them how to be pros and, and then work with Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook and, you know, try and get them to elevate their game. So when I got here, you know, I found out that, you know, I wasn't going to be playing much power play, you know, that I was going to be them to, to develop their game. So I knew I had to reestablish myself to stick around the league. So a couple of meetings with, uh, you know, with the coaches. And at that point in time, you know, I said, if I'm not going to be an offensive guy, you know, I'm going to have to be a defensive specialist. At that point in time, you know, I turned my, mal- my my mentality into, uh, you know, being that stay-at-home guy. And um, I'm, I I like pain, um, you know, that was that's something that I that I enjoy for, you know, a few different reasons. But you know, I, my mentality was, if it hits me, you know, it's not going into that. So um, I was willing to do anything for the team and win, and if that was breaking a bone or breaking a jaw or knocking some teeth up, you know, I had no problem doing that.
1: That 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 playoff series, like you just started to talk about, that was a that was a grind, man. Was there a player that uh, an, an opponent that you had that you felt was your toughest assignment during that 2010 playoffs?
3: Well, uh, you know, my role, uh, you know, the penalty kill and, and blocking those shots, like you said, I think you said 54. We uh, definitely would have been, you know, in the first round when, you, you know, when I had Shane Weber, you know, tickling the rafters, trying to put the puck through me um, time and time again. So um, from that from that point perspective, uh, he was definitely uh, a guy that wanted to, to break every one of my bones on every one of his shots. And, you know, uh, surprisingly, he didn't. Uh, I'm happy he didn't. But that's uh, it's not a lot of fun watching those shots come at you.
0: Yeah, those are rocket shots uh, coming off the stick of Shea Weber uh, on the back end there. So talking about 2010 here, um, obviously it ended in a little bit of confusion um, to the masses. So what was the game-winning goal by Kane like from your perspective? Did you see it go in? Um, th- what was going on?
3: No, I didn't I didn't see it go in. Um, and I think I was uh, the last one that kind of threw my legs over the bench. And uh, I didn't celebrate one little bit. You know, I took maybe four or five strides on the ice, and I was looking back at the bench the whole time. And you know, my mentality was, you know, I'm an older guy. Knowing this is probably this is going to be my only opportunity to to win, so um, I wasn't going to uh, celebrate until I knew 100 percent, you know, it was in. And I slowly kind of tiptoeed on the ice with uh, with my head cocked back on the bench. And you know, obviously when we got the got the goal sign, then it was uh, you know it was party time.
2: Who yeah, has the puck?
1: That's my next question. Who's got that puck? Has anybody found that puck?
3: (laughs) Pronger's got it, I guarantee.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Love it. Uh, You know, Pronger was... You know, I think that was our common. That was our one enemy during that uh, Stanley Cup final, at least for Hawks fans, anyways. Was Pronger. We kind of locked in on that guy, and that was someone that we did not like when Dust when Buffalo threw him against the glass in the corner. I think that was one of the top moments of that series. Um, but a- after Kane's goal did go in, and you guys finally bring the cup back to Chicago, it had been a 49 year drought for the city of Chicago winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, most people. You know, most Hawks fans hadn't even seen it in their lifetime. What was it like for you and your teammates to bring it back to Chicago after that long drought?
3: Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was something special, obviously. Uh, that long drought and, you know, where hockey was just a few years before to, to where it was then. Uh, you know, the city was electric. Obviously, you talk about the parade. It was There was nothing like it. So we uh, we enjoyed ourselves. We had a lot of fun. Um we drank a lot of water, not, and, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we had as much fun as you can try to show it around the city and, you know, enjoy enjoy our time with, uh, you know, with it when we had it and show it off so, so all the fans could see it.
0: Yeah, Brent, uh, you know, this is the one time that you won the Cup in your, your life. Uh, what, what was it like to hoist it, finally, hockey glory?
3: Well, it was, you know, obviously as a kid growing up, you, you've won it, you know, uh, thousands of times in the outdoor rink and. You know things like that. so um, to finally, you know actually I lift it, know that your name's going on there, and uh, you know your part of history, you know it's almost still surreal because you know harvest hardest trophy in all four major sports to win, and something that uh, I dreamt of my whole life, and you know finally to to do it was uh, you know was pretty special.
1: Yeah, Brent. Uh, the celebration—you guys get back to the locker room. You're pop- popping champagne bottles, cracking beers open. You got any celebration stories you could share with us? What was it like to party with these guys after finally winning that that trophy, man?
3: Well, it was, you know, it was just—it it was amazing. We were all, you know, really bouncing off the wall, you know, slamming beers back and just, you know, uh, sucking up the moment—the fact that you know what we accomplished and. Um, where we took that you know that team from uh, years before to there, so it was you know nothing uh, uh, nothing crazy uh, was going on. We ended up getting on the flight right after and going back to, to Philadelphia, but it was just just to enjoy that time together. That we you know we accomplished what uh, you know, what our goal was, and you know we did it in a pretty special form.
2: Yeah, uh, I, you know I've read a couple books. Um, I read Mark Lazar's book about how uh, you know inside the Blackhawks and all those things. And he wrote in there that that 2010 team celebrated that cup like no other. I think there was, you know, that rumor floating around that you guys partied for like 15 straight days or something like that. So the first part of the question is, can you confirm that you guys did in fact party for a couple weeks straight?
3: Oh yeah. And then, yeah. then some, I think, I think, uh, somebody just released it that, uh, you know, we're, we party the hardest on anybody.
2: Yeah, there was there was something there like Brad Marchand came out and said that when Boston won it the next year, that they were trying to top you guys, and then someone from higher up in their organization called down and told them, hey, boys, it's time to take it back home. So I think you guys probably still hold that record. Um, but is there uh, any particular team celebration stories that you might want to share with us? I'm sure not all of them are PG-13, but you know maybe something you could say over the mic.
3: Well, there was... You know, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that went on. Um, you know, just to get off the bus, you know, with the cup and the, the mounds of people that were, that were everywhere, no matter where we went. Um, we had trains of people following us. And uh, just to see how excited the, you know, the whole city was, uh, how the whole city embraced, you know, embraced that whole run. And no matter where we went, um, we had a great time. No matter where we went, it was packed. Um, So it was just a, you know, it it was basically one big city, the whole city, one big party. So it was, that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, Brent, so uh, what did you do on your day with the Cup?
3: Actually, um, I had, you know, I had kids. Actually, I had had kids closer to age and 10 and K's than they were to me. So I was living in the northwest suburbs, and I actually kept it, you know, kept it there. You know, my kids had friends, and... teachers and stuff like that. So uh, I kept it local, you know, took it to uh, police stations and hospitals and you know, places like that to, you know, while I had it and then invited all my family from Canada and stuff down. And, and you know, again, we had one big party.
1: Yeah. Brent, uh, it's the celebration, man, just the whole thing seems, you know, surreal. And it's something that, uh, you know, you mentioned the whole city being a giant party, uh, keeping it, keeping your day with the cop local. Um, I want to jump back to the cup run, though. Um, did you have any injuries that were going on uh, during that cup run? I know a lot of that stuff. A lot of guys are battling through some mm-hmm. some really tough stuff. Um, you know, what were some of the worst stuff that you saw in the locker room, man? What were some of these guys dealing with, and you, and you personally, if you were?
3: Well, you know, um, for the last game uh, before the Olympic break, uh, you know, I fell on the board, so I ended up having uh, plantar fasciitis. So I was in a walking boot for, I don't know, what, six or eight weeks. You know, so I wanted, you know, walking boot to the game. I took an injection, I think it was for 45 games in a row to play. And, you know, so, you know, I was hurt every single game, you know, from that plantar fasciitis, you know, on to, you know, permanent swelling I have, blocking shots. And, you know, guys, there's, you know, some separated shoulders. And um, I don't know if there's any, any broken bones at that point in time, but there wasn't one player that wasn't wasn't hurt. Everybody was, you know, you take that, you take a look at that year. We started off in Europe, came back, um, you know, let the guys go to Vancouver for the Olympics uh, to make that run. So, you know, some of those guys, uh, some of the good players put a lot of hockey and put a lot of miles on their body and everybody's hurting. So everybody's excited to win so we could ice, uh, ice their body from the inside out.
0: Yeah, Brent, uh, you guys were warriors. Uh, no other way to describe hockey players, I think. Um, but we wanted to move on uh, a little bit here into more of your uh, personal story. Uh, you had uh, hinted at it a little bit earlier, but uh, your foundation, the Brent Sopel Foundation, um, and you have a great article up on the Players' Tribune uh, titled Lost in My Mind um, about your dealings with uh, dyslexia. So can you uh, just give us a little bit of background on that for the listeners that may not have even heard of the article or not read it yet?
3: Yeah, um, I was diagnosed uh, ten years ago with dyslexia. Uh, how I got diagnosed is um, got my daughter uh, tested. She was struggling, and she had it, and that's that's how they uh, they you know realized that I had it. So um, was uh, had, you know had a tough time. I was reading at a grade four level in high school. You know my education probably doesn't take me past you know pr- past grade eight. Uh, so it's you know it's uh, the real world. Is, a struggle. And, you know, when I first start, started talking here in this interview, I started, you know, I said hockey was more to me than just hockey. You know, it was a lifeline. And uh, I like pain is because, you know, the pain that I have inside me every day is something to, you know, nobody will ever understand. And um, the fact that uh, I break bones, you know, didn't even bounce to much pain as I, I feel in the inside every single day. And, um, I was willing to block shots, put my face out there, um, because I was afraid of the real world. You know, uh, when you struggle with reading and writing, and um, dyslexia is something that's uh, not talked about a lot. It's it's still new, but the other big portion of dyslexia is the self-esteem. Um, very, very low self-esteem, uh, people with dyslexia. So it was, you know, it's been a lifelong battle. um, least don't you know what it is and you know and that's that's where i've you know started my foundation so i could advocate and try and uh try and help every single kid that's out there that's struggling with me i just pray that no kid ever has to you know feel the way i do every day
1: yeah brent why don't you, you just kind of talk to us a little bit about how the foundation came together and that was one of our questions but do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the work that the foundation does
3: yeah you know so you know obviously a lot of it is uh is advocating, you know, I'm on the phone with people from around the world because dys- dyslexia is one in five um, have it. So, you know, we're talking about 20% of the population, uh, 2 billion people in this world have it. It uh, doesn't matter if you're you know male or female, it doesn't matter if you're from Russia or China or from Canada, uh, it affects everybody and it's hereditary. So it's, you know, it's not going away. Um, you're born with it. We're born with our right brain uh, wired differently. So it's, you can't take a pill or nothing to get rid of it. You know, there's something called uh, Wilson Reading Program, which is a way to, you know, kind of unwire your brain uh, to learn how to how to read. My daughter's better. actually in that um, right
1: now, Brent, uh, the Wilson Reading Program. Really? Yep.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it changed my daughter's life. And um, so the foundation does a lot of advocacy. Uh, you know, I, I speak at a lot of events. You know, we'll go around the world as... Been in the White House uh, twice, and going back in November, working on uh, writing some bills, and then also we uh, we pay for teachers to get certified in Wilson reading. You know, there's two billion people out there with um, you know, with dyslexia, but there's not a lot of you know a lot of teachers that can can teach it. So you know, the foundation you know finds teachers, pays for them to get get certified so that they can you know give back to all the you know the kids with dyslexia.
0: One of the things that you guys are doing to, um, you know, raise money for the foundation is your annual celebrity golf outing, which is coming up uh, next Wednesday, October 2nd. So, uh, the 2019 theme for it is drive for dyslexia. Um, you just tell us a little bit uh, about the event for maybe people that haven't heard, um, about your annual, uh, golf outing for this.
3: Yeah. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, celebrity golf, uh, golf event, And, uh, we've got Dennis Quaid and, uh, shooter McGavin. And we got, uh, some retired Blackhawks and bears and, and different individuals to come out, and you know, and, and it's it's supposed to be you know, a lot of fun. But you know, dyslexia is, you know, I'm really trying to, to get as many people out as I can to you know to teach them to learn what to, what dyslexia is, and and you know, trying to uh, raise money at the same time. You know, it's such a new new thing that a lot of people don't know us, so uh, raising money for dyslexia is uh, is very very hard. Um, you know, to do things and the things I need to do. Um, you know, cost money for these kids, so you know, it's uh trying to kill two birds with one stone, but you know, we want everybody to come out there, have a great time, obviously, get some, some top notch celebrities. Um, hopefully, Mother Nature uh, holds off on us. And then, uh, you know, after golf, we got a uh, after party uh, at Quarry uh pub in uh, in Lamont, just uh, a mile down the road from the golf course. And you know, gonna go out there after and have some fun. And you know, uh, life's Life's uh, too short and uh, you know, to try and make the most of it, try on some fun. So, you know, trying to get uh, eh, as many people out there to have some fun, but uh, also be doing some dyslexia teaching to, to everybody as we go along too.
1: Beautiful. That's, that's awesome. I am, uh, it was really cool to hear you talk about some of that stuff uh, and, you know, it just kind of comes back to my, my own personal life too, Brent, and then the Wilson reading program and stuff. I, I literally drove to the school this morning and, and sat with my daughter's uh, teacher who does the Wilson reading program and, um, you know, learned how to help my daughter at home. So, you know, just, you know, that that really, uh, that's awesome work that you're doing out there. And uh, I, I know, I believe uh, that there, you still have tickets available for the after party. Is that true? Yes. Definitely.
3: Okay. There, uh, you can go on my website, uh, uh, org and you can purchase them, purchase them there and, you know, come uh, listen to Dennis Quaid and uh, you know his band, and uh, come out and you know have some fun.
1: Absolutely. All right, uh, Brent. One more thing that we want to touch on uh, before we run into our little segment called Slapshots. We want to talk about the Blackhawks this year. Um, how do you think the team's going to fare this season?
3: Oh, well, um, you know, they're going to they're going to be on the on the bubble. Uh, you know, making the playoffs. I think that uh, you know, obviously the Central Division is. Uh, is by far the toughest division. Uh, you know, you get the Winnipeg Jets, National Predators, Dallas. Uh, you know, they've everybody's stocked up. You know, Colorado Avalanche. So uh, the fact that you're in the toughest division um, is going to make it make it that much tougher when you're playing them every other night. So I think you know they're going to be on, they're going to be better than, than last year. Now is that going to be enough to push them over the edge and and knock one of these you know high power Central Division teams uh, you know, out of a playoff spot? I'm not, I, I'm not sure, but uh, they definitely have
2: the work cut out for them. Yeah, I agree. You know, <clears throat> you look at this Central Division, and it is stacked up. Obviously, uh, you played for Joel Quenville. Uh, how big of a, of a task do you think it is for this team to make the transition from Q, who seems like more of an in-your-face kind of guy, to Jeremy Colleton, who appears to be a little bit more laid back? Um, do you think that change was necessary for them? Do you think it's going to be difficult? Or, you know, just in general, what did you think about Joel Quenville?
3: Well, Joe Cornville's second-winningest coach of all-time history for a reason, and you know, by far the best uh, best coach in Blackhawks history. And um, you know, anytime you change a coach, you know there you know there's change. You know they bring in uh, different systems. And uh, the one thing with Joe was he uh, he could read the bench better than anybody. You know he he could handle personalities. And you know, being a head coach, you got to handle you know 23, 24 different personalities. And you know guys need things different ways and you know joel's is, joel's is excellent at that he um he commanded you know respect but he gave us a ton of respect back and that's why everybody played uh played the way they did for him and and got uh, you know got those three cups because you know um everyone had to play hard for for joel because you know there's that uh, mutual respect uh, you know back and forth and, but, you know, as, as a coach, you know, you're hired to get fired at some point in time. Like, he was here 10 years, and, um, you know, it went down the way it did, which I didn't like. But, you know, he's in Florida, and, uh, you know, watch Florida win a Stanley Cup here in the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, I think we'd be okay with that. We're we're big Joel Clenville fans over here, and uh, I know me personally, I, I absolutely can't wait for uh, that game when Florida comes into the United Center, just so uh, you know the fans are going to be – they'll be the Q chance all night. We can't wait oh, to yeah, show him sure. how much we appreciate him. So definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, Brent, uh, do, you, do
1: you make it up to uh, the United Center and take in any Hawks games?
3: No. No, no, no never. Um, you know, it's obviously I'm not going to fight the crowd. I'm not going to fight the parking, the traffic. And, you know, um, I'm just not a fan of the, the new NHL. Uh, I don't think it's fun to watch. I think it's boring. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't, uh, I don't uh, go take the time to go down there very often.
0: All right, Brent. Uh, we are going to get into our uh, little quick hitter question uh, sort of segment here. Uh, like Tony had mentioned uh, when we were getting going, uh, they'll just be mm-hmm. quick questions. Tony will ask them, and then uh, you know just respond with you know what what comes to mind first. So uh, it's going right. to be a little over the board, a little hockey, uh, little culture, a uh, little food, you know, all that good stuff. So Tony, you can take it away with slap shots.
1: All right, favorite hockey player of all time. Chris Chiles. Best arena to play in.
3: Oh Joe Lewis arena.
1: Beer of choice.
3: I'm I'm three years sober.
1: Uh red or white Hawks jerseys? White. Funniest teammate that you played with in your career. Adrian Coyne. Toughest player to play against.
3: Well, there's many different reasons, but I'll say Bob Robert. <laughs>
1: Uh, favorite sport besides hockey? Curling. Best place to eat in Chicago?
3: That's a great question. I'm going to go with uh, Morton Steakhouse.
1: Whose shot would you rather block, Ovechkin's or Chara's? Chara's. Loudest anthem you ever heard at the United Center?
3: Well, Stanley Cup final, I think they all they all matched each other.
1: Any secret or unknown talents that you may have?
3: <laughs> Zero.
1: Kane or Taves? Taves. Favorite band? Metallica. Uh, White Sox or Cubs? Neither. Favorite Coach Qism?
3: <laughs> Can't be said right over the air. <laughs>
1: What's your favorite vacation destination?
3: None I hate going on vacation.
1: Who do you think wins the Stanley Cup this year?
3: Florida.
1: When do you think the Blackhawks will win another Stanley Cup?
3: Once.
1: All right, and that was slap shots. You just you just hurt Pat Comiskey right there. <laughs> <laughs> he just took me down.
3: <laughs>
1: All right, Brett. Oh. Th- that 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 was good. Uh ran through a lot right there. Um, I think you and uh, Dave Boland had the same reaction to the favorite coach Qism question, uh, which was, <laughs> oh, was he excellent.
3: Had, he, was, he, had, he had some great ones. Uh, <laughs> no, there wasn't too many clean ones, that's for sure. <laughs> All
1: right, guys.
2: You that's, gotta, what we, that's what we appreciate yeah, about them.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, Brent, just well, one last thing before we wrap up. Uh, how's your golf game? What's it going to look like on the course uh, on Wednesday for you?
3: You know, it, um, my golf game isn't, isn't very good, um, but thank God it's a, it's a, a scramble, so you know, it makes my game look that much better.
0: There you go. It'll be a fun event uh, regardless, um, and obviously for a great cause. So uh, we're looking forward to being out there, Brent. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, to. This will be our first time taking it in. So um, obviously you've been doing it annually, so uh, it'll be cool to see what it's all about um, and how it runs, and um, I'm sure we'll have a good time
1: and uh, excited to meet you in person
3: yeah I'm looking forward to meeting you guys and having out there and yeah, having a great day.
1: yeah, absolutely, Brent. All right, uh, I think that's all we've got
2: for today. Um, Pat, you have anything else? Yeah, Brent, just you know one more time. obviously want to thank you and uh, I think it's awesome what you're doing with uh, with your foundation and all that. Um I don't think a lot of people get to truly make a difference in their life and it you know it seems like obviously you made a difference with the Blackhawks for our fans and helping bring the cup back to chicago and then you go beyond your career and now you do it for something that personally touches you so i think that's awesome and uh yeah i just want to commemorate you that's really cool and uh keep up the good work that's that's really cool here
3: I, right, you know i appreciate that and you know life's been good to me um uh, but uh, like you said this is uh this is my purpose now and uh, you know, I get more out of helping these kids than I ever did playing hockey.
1: Absolutely. Brent, thank you so much for coming on. I echo everything that, uh, that Pat Comiskey just said. Um, you know, I think, I think it's what what you're doing. It's absolutely wonderful. You know, um, yeah, man, I, am excited to come out and, uh, you know, be out there to, to help cover the cause for you guys. And, um, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm excited.
3: Yeah. Looking forward to it. Hopefully mother nature, uh, you know, plays with us in, in a good favor, and you know, have a great day.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Brent. Uh, once again, like those guys said, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we will see you on Wednesday.
3: All right, thanks, guys. Take care.
0: And that was Brent Sopel, former Blackhawk and Stanley Cup champion. Uh, much thanks to Brent for joining the show. Uh, good to talk to another former Hawk uh, on the
1: show, guys. Uh, uh, what were your thoughts on the Brent Sopel interview? Uh, pretty cool talking to brent um i mean like i said it's pretty cool we got to talk to two two of the guys from the 2010 team uh just this week um but uh, i love the work he's doing with this foundation i think I think that's really awesome that uh he's got something going um in retirement that uh is doing doing some important work for you know a cause that uh like he said not too many people know or think about um so i really like that i'm I'm excited like you said to meet him um, next week at his golf outing. So, you know, awesome, awesome hearing dif- differentiating viewpoints too. I think, uh, I know Pat, you weren't on the episode, but, uh, I don't know, Johnny, uh, we asked them some crossover questions. Uh, it was kind of cool to get the different viewpoints of, of, uh, Brent and Dave, you know, just how they experienced that cup run. Um, so I, I that too. Uh, how about you, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, I, I
0: agree with what you just said there. Um, first of all, for his foundation, uh, just great work that he's doing, uh, raising awareness for something that, you know, I think it doesn't get as much attention as um, maybe some other causes uh, do. So um, that, that is good that, you know, he picks his alley and it's near and dear to him. So um, and the event is, you know, just another great way to uh, you know, raise money for it so um it, it was uh cool to talk to brent about all that and then uh for the hockey stuff too uh, i agree with you the differentiating uh you know kind of viewpoints or you know what they saw or what their matchups were like um it, it, was, it was just interesting because uh you know dave bolan being a forward brent so being a defenseman that's kind of why we asked him uh you know it was the hardest to match up against and just imagine taking a shea weber slap shot uh to your shins <laughs> that'd be rough
2: yeah it sounds like something i don't want to do yeah, I think I think my favorite part of that was obviously the great work he's doing with this foundation. That's really cool. Um, you continue to make a difference off the ice, even though he's not. I think my favorite part was when we asked him about Joel Quenville and you could tell that he's like just the ultimate Joel Quenville fan. He's the truther. We asked him, we asked him, when the Hawks were going to win another cup. He said. Never essentially. And we asked him who's going to win it this year. And he goes with Florida. You can tell he's should, he's in Joel Quenville's corner. I'm still in Joel Quenville's corner. You know, I'm a Hawks fan first, but I'll be rooting for Florida this year. They're over in the other conference. Anyways, you know, it, it's really cool that, um, you, everyone always talks about how close and together that 2010 team was. I think that has a lot to do with Q and all those guys are still in his corner. And it, it almost seemed like, like he even, you know, he came straight out and said it. He was really straightforward. He didn't like how that went down, how they handled it with Quenville. I mean, you remember they, they buried it into the news. Um, it was like election day or something, something like that. And yep. I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It certainly rubbed the fans the wrong way. I, I think I was, I, you know what, I'm still mad. I'm not as mad as I was when it happened, but I'm still pissed off. Um, you, you, don't, you don't treat the second winningest coach, the guy who brought you your most successful run in franchise history like that. And I, that those are things that former players don't forget. Those are things that fans don't forget. And the Blackhawks have run their organization really smoothly over the last, you know, since Rocky took over and John McDonough came in. But there is one instance where you've seen them royally screw up um, They will have at least somewhat of an opportunity to correct that when he comes back in, uh, I believe Florida comes into town in January. Um, so they, they need to put a nice little tribute video together for Q, maybe allow the game to pause itself a little bit. So the fans can show them, show him how much he appreciates them because, you know, like you said, you've seen it full circle with one of his former players. That's something that rubbed them the wrong way. So I, I kind of appreciated that Brent Sopel didn't hold any punches and he was the one to come out there and, back joel Quinville, yeah i love
1: that too and, and pat you you kind of stole a lot of the words right from my mouth when you talk about it you know i'm i'm still mad i i still when i think about this this blackhawks team you know one of the one of the names and faces that comes to mind right away is, is joel Quinville. you know every time and it's like i almost have to correct myself and be like no he's not the coach anymore you know it's just when i when i think about blackhawks hockey he's just he's right there and uh you know, like I, I sometimes I forget that Colton even exists because I don't know if it's just the laid-back mentality and he's just not so in your face about everything. But uh, you know, I, 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 miss, I miss that energy, you know, that that Quenville brought to, you know, the press conferences or the bench during a game. Um, you know, there's just something different about watching Colton behind there. It was like he looked afraid to swear the other night. I know Johnny was working the, working the gift machine. But, uh, you know, he's, like, I think he said, clean this shit up or something. And uh, then he, like, looked around to see if anybody heard him. It was, like, the fir- it looked like the first time this guy's ever c- used the word shit. Um, yeah, he was
2: looking over his shoulder for his mom to, like, yeah, wash his was, mouth out with soap or something. Yeah. I, it was, just, it was <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. I, I, like, God, that's my coach.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder... You know, I'd like to get a like a current player on here, somebody who's played for both of them, and just kind of talk about it. But uh, you know, they they would not give us the answers we want to hear. I'm, I'm yeah, pretty we're, gonna, sure. we're gonna have to wait like we're five gonna have to years. wait five years. But uh, write that one down. We'll we'll save it for a while, <laughs> and we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it was just weird. I mean, there there's like been some uncomfortable moments on the bench. It looked like last year with. Uh, with Kane and and uh with Calton you know like Ignoring putting his arm him. around him and, and just like <laughs> weird stuff um yeah, I think Taves has had the same thing too so I don't know I I, I miss Q um like you said I wish him well down in Florida Pat um I might not go and, and root for them but uh you know I root for Joe Quinville's success just as much as as any of the next uh Hawks fans who know what the the three cups are um but yeah, I, yeah that's that's gonna be difficult guys i think that was that was good
0: though overall yeah uh great interview overall uh good to have another uh, like i had mentioned for Blackhawk on the show so uh hopefully we can keep him rolling and uh like you guys had mentioned it'd be nice to get a uh, current one for uh You know, some compare and contrast sort of things. But, um, guys, let's wrap this thing up here. Uh, We're talking about the Blackhawks' upcoming schedule this week. Uh, They just touched down. They are in Berlin. They're practicing this morning. This is Friday morning that we're recording this. They're practicing uh, in Berlin. And then uh, they have one more exhibition against a Berlin team uh, preseason exhibition on Sunday. It'll be at uh, 1230 PM central time. And then um, they fly to Prague on Monday after that. And then uh, they'll be getting ready practice all week and uh season opener NHL global series against the Philadelphia Flyers in Prague, 1 PM central time next Friday, October 4th. Uh, how excited are you guys for regular season hockey?
2: I am super excited. I, I... I don't know if we're just used to these playoff runs and it makes it makes the offseason shorter, um, even though we've had that for the last couple of years. But this has seemed like it's been a really, really, really long offseason. Um, I don't know if it's just the Blues winning the Cup that makes me want to blow my brains out. And I'm just ready for hockey to start again for someone else to win the Cup and not let them be the defending champions. <laughs> But I am so ready for hockey. Um, I know, you know, football, like, baseball season didn't go well for either team in Chicago. Uh, the Bears are looking iffy to start it. So I'm just ready for the Hawks to get out there. Let my number one team get rolling. Um, even if they don't come out of the gates hot, I'm just so excited for hockey to get rolling. It's truly the greatest sport. And uh, I, you know, I, I know we talked about it months ago when they first released that the Hawks would be uh, starting this season off overseas. I, I love the fact that they are. Uh, for all the reasons that we just talked about with Kyle, that he needs to gain the respect and get this team on the same page. No easier way to do that than uh, having having this extended trip. Everyone's going to be spending a shit ton of time together. Brent talked about it. Uh, that 2010 team, you know, they started the year off overseas, and you know that helps team building. And I think that's something this team needs. A lot of young guys. A lot of opportunities for uh, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Brent Seabrook, Duncan Keith to, you know, show these guys what it's like to be a professional athlete on and off the ice. And uh, I think this can bring them together. Uh, the Blackhawks tweeted out pictures of them on their on their airplane ride together. It looked like Taze was sitting with a bunch of the younger guys. You know, it's just it's nice. Let them all you know sit around, you know, one of the greatest captains in hockey, one of the greatest leaders in sports and, you know, take it all in. See what see what his work ethic is all about. Um, I love that they're starting the year overseas. I think it can, I think it can pay them a lot of rewards. At the end of the day, it's only you know a game or two, but um, long term, I think this is something that can really help them as long as they don't let like jet lag and all that be an issue. Yeah, I mean bond-
1: bonding is going to be something that's going to help this team in the long run, and I think you hit a lot of really good points there, Pat. Um, I don't really have much else on that, and I think you explained it really well. I'm just uh, going back to uh, to Johnny's question. You know how are, how excited am I? I mean, I'm I'm so ready for this. We've got so much uh, coverage, so many plans to uh, you know ex- expand on what we did last year at Four Feathers. Now being on Tap Sportsnet, um, you know we kind of talked about it uh, on last episode of, uh, of Four Feathers with uh, Dave Bowen. We're launching um, Blackhawks on Tap, a post game show after every game, kind of recap everything that's going on. Um, we're going to have tons of guests on Four Feathers this year. It's going to turn a little bit more guest-centric. Uh, we've already started off right now, I think, with uh, two really big ones that, uh, you know, man, I, I, last year I wouldn't have even dreamed of having either of these names on the show. So um, Starting off hot. Yeah, we're starting off the year hot, and I'm hoping that the Hawks do the exact same thing. You know, next Friday, 1 o'clock, I can't wait to be cracking beers. Johnny, I know you're going to be there.
2: Uh, Ron's going to be here. I don't know if Pat's getting the day off of work wouldn't count on that well well oh, actually no i don't have to work on friday they gave me the day off because uh i get back from my uh, little work trip so yeah i will be there awesome actually, we're gonna
1: have we're gonna crew. have a full crew full crew having some beers and taking in the first game of the year i've i've got just some good i've got, got go- realize
2: that on the spot
1: i've got some i've got some goosebumps just ready for puck drop oh, right now I'm, oh. I'm, I'm i'm so ready johnny why don't you answer your own question Oh, I mean, guys,
0: I, I've been uh, longing for it. I think Patrick uh, mentioned that you know both baseball teams uh, have had a rough go of it, um, to st- you know uh, over the summer. So it's been a long summer uh, covering some bad White Sox baseball. Uh, excited to you know, like Patrick said, I would obviously like them to start off hot, but uh, it'll be good to be back talking hockey regardless if it's you know win or loss, um, whatever. So uh, you know, I, I just am really excited to see uh how some of these new guys are going to perform. Um, I think there's no doubt in my mind that. That Kane, Taves, uh, they're going to have another stellar year uh, last year, career years for those guys. So uh, there's no doubt in my mind for the core uh, piece there. But uh, I think Calvin DeHaan and Olimata guys are going to be two that I am watching very, very closely. And with Boquist being sent down uh, to Rockford to start the season, I wonder if that means Calvin DeHaan is going to be good to go for game one. I hope that's the case because he will be one of your, uh, in my opinion, one of your shutdown defensemen, uh, your one or two shutdown defensemen. So uh, Olimata, uh, I hope he stays healthy. Th- that's going to be big for him because uh, he-, he was banged up over his last two years in Pittsburgh, a couple deep playoff runs that, uh, you know, take a toll on the body. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen uh, Jonathan Taze uh, ha- have a little bit of wear and tear on him after some of those cup runs, uh, just for the sheer amount of minutes and ice that he has to cover. Uh, o- Olimata as a defenseman. You know, he, he was, he's not the... Uh, most prolific uh, offensive threat. So he kind of took on not the same exact role, but a, you know, kind of a Brent uh, Sopel like we had just talked about, Um, definitely using his body to make plays. So um, as long as he's healthy, he looks like he's moving a lot better in the few preseason games that I've uh, watched him skate in. So that's going to be huge uh, for me. That's what I'm looking out for. But uh, just a couple other housekeeping notes. Uh, you guys had said some stuff that uh, made me think of these. Uh, one, the Rockford Icehogs will be playing a preseason game against the Boston Bruins. Uh, not sure who the Bruins are going to throw out there, but that is Saturday. Uh, no TV or anything like that. Actually, I think Boston may have a broadcast, but um, that's uh, probably when, you know, Boquist uh, will be there, um, Alexei Sorrell, who they had just sent down to. So uh, that's Saturday as well. That Technically, that happens before the Hawks scrimmage over uh, in Berlin. Win, uh, on Sunday, so I uh, just wanted to clear that up, and then also uh, you talked about the uh, possibility of jet lag Pat, well, they play that Friday the 4th in uh, Prague and then they will fly back You know, after that, and they don't play again until Thursday for the home opener against the Sharks Thursday, October 10th, so I hope jet lag does not uh, play a factor uh, on the start of the season sucks that we have to wait, but if they're going to play better hockey because of it, I'm okay with it
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things, um, yeah, you you just get so excited for it, and it is a little weird. Like, you get that game on Friday, and it's like, oh, it's back, but uh, you got to wait six more days for the next one. But, you know, that's okay. It's it's going to be one of those cool, like, the puck drops, like, in the afternoon. On Friday, if you're lucky enough to not have to work, like, apparently all four of us are going to get the opportunity to. You can enjoy a little hockey, get a nice buzz by, like, 2.30 in the afternoon. What's better than that, guys? I Nothing. But you can't so beat Friday, it. You can't beat yeah. that. Fridays are... Fridays are for crack uh, we talk about it all the time. Usually I have to work until 11 o'clock at night and it, it drives me insane because I should be drinking at noon. That's what we're doing next Friday with a little Blackhawks hockey. Hopefully, hopefully we're going to be cracking into f- quite a few goals. I'm going to be toasting to a winner. Um, yeah, oh, I am super excited for it to start back. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't, it, it, it you talk to talk, about it, it doesn't get any better than that. No, I mean, this is, this is going to be a really cool day.
1: Um, Hopefully by then the sun is shining, and uh, we're out in the driveway playing some playing some hockey, tossing some bags and everything uh, beforehand too. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, Fridays are for crackum. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a full day, full day of doing that. Uh, that's all I've got for today, uh, Johnny Pat. Good to have you back on Pat, Johnny. Always good to talk to you. You ready to close this down? Yep. Let's close it out. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks, baby.